Hi, everybody. Welcome to Operation Tube Top, and it's another podcast from Tova. And uh, yeah, it is Tuesday night, and it is pouring rain outside. And I might be, it might kind of seem like a jumpy podcast because I will be stopping and starting uh, because of the kid. And I'll tell you that story in just about a second. Um, yeah, I'm ready to go. So, uh, the last couple days have not been great regarding the kid. Monday morning, the bus picked him up at 6.35, and he was happy and ready to go. And then I guess around 10 o'clock, we got a phone call from the school that he was freaking out. And, of course, my heart dropped, and I was like, wonderful. Week three, off to a roaring start. The husband picked him up, uh, brought him home in a taxi because he's a snob, the kid, not the husband, and uh, then he had a couple more freakouts in the afternoon, and we decided to keep him home today, and then the nanny wrote and said in the afternoon that he also had a freakout, and part of me was like, this sucks ass, and then the other part of me was like, well, maybe it's not the school, maybe something else is going on, and I think we've all kind of concluded that maybe his teeth are coming in, so he's in pain. I'm not quite sure. Uh, knock on wood so far this evening. He's been amazing. I've put him to bed. He had a nap today, so I don't think he'll be falling asleep till quite late. And that's what I meant before, that I might be stopping and starting because I can see him any minute now running in, uh, wanting attention. Anyway, we'll see how this rest of the week goes. He'll be off again tomorrow and then Thursday and Friday. Hopefully send him off to school and fingers crossed it all works out. Um, yeah, so... That that's the kid story. <laughs> God, it's never a dull moment. Uh, let me talk a little bit about last night because last night I went to a concert and it's been months since I've seen any kind of real live performance. When I was in Salzburg in February, I got to see a wonderful dress rehearsal of La Bohème, starring my friend's husband, uh, who's also a friend, uh, David Pershall, and it was amazing. So I was able to get tickets to go see Diana Krall, who is a Canadian jazz singer. And I've always loved Diana Krall. Uh, I remember in university, there was somebody I knew who had her CD and I was like, oh, she's just sultry and amazing. And I have her CD, um, her Christmas CD, cause I'm a good Jew. And, uh, when there was an opportunity to go see her, I was like, yeah, I have, I have to go. And it's funny because I've always kind of liked jazz and even Motown. And my first tape I ever, ever owned was from The Temptations. And I think I was about 12 years old and My Girl, the film had come out with uh, Macaulay Culkin and Anna Klumski. And I loved the song My Girl. And a friend of mine was like, well, I have the tape with the song on it. And I put the tape in and then I heard all these songs from The Temptations and I knew every single word to every song. It was the only tape I owned and I would listen to it every single day. And I was obsessed with The Temptations. And then my parents had a CD by Natalie Cole, Nat King Cole's daughter. And I had this kind of guilty pleasure. I'd get home from school and I'd be alone for an hour or two, put that CD on and just sing to every song on that album. And there was, uh, I loved Mona Lisa and Paper Moon and all these songs. Uh, so it's it's funny because I never thought I was a big jazz person, but I guess growing up that was kind of my, my secret little, uh, fun thing to listen to. My parents were definitely more classical, uh, aficionados. And for me, this is maybe something I kept to myself and I loved it. And so 
of course, uh, being able to see Diana Krall in concert was something that I had to go to. So before I went to the concert, I went to Gamoa Keller. And this is my, my insider Vienna tip. Uh, if you want to go to a typical Viennese restaurant where all the Viennese go to, you have to go to Gamoa Kella. And uh, Gamoa is spelled G-M-O-A. Gamoa. Gamoa Kella. It's in the third district. And make a reservation because it's always packed. And that's a really, you will be surrounded by very Viennese people. And they do have an English menu. Found that out yesterday. Um, but it is, uh, it's a great place to go. So went there, met a friend for dinner, and an early dinner, and I had schnitzel, and a potato salad. Oh, and you can probably hear outside, there's somebody yelling in the rain. Always fun. Uh, had dinner, and then headed over to the Concert House, which I had never been to before. And it was built in 1913, here's a little bit of history, and inaugurated by Franz Josef just before World War One, which we all know was not a good time. And it's a mixture of Jugendstil and classic. It's a really beautiful building, and I think it's got three halls. And I almost ended up walking to the wrong one after I went to the bathroom because I have absolutely no sense of direction. Uh, anyway, so walked into this beautiful hall, sat down, and uh, Diana Krall, well, first the band comes out, so there's a bass player, guitarist, fiddler, and drum drummer. And then she comes out, and there's a grand piano. And I did not know that grand pianos can cost at least 250,000 uh, euros. That was new to me. Anyway, she comes out, and we're far away, but she's got really shiny hair, very pretty hair. And pretty much without saying anything, just sits down and starts playing. And she plays a couple of songs, and she played one of my favorite songs, which is Love. And know all the words, because it was on the Natalie Cole CD. And uh, then she, like, talks a little bit, and she's such a... A jazz person because she has this sultry voice and she says something like I went to the opera last night and um, it was inspiring I was inspired and this next song it inspires me and you're like wow you you're the whole package you just seem amazing and she's married to Elvis Costello and I would really love to be a fly on the wall because maybe in real life, she's like, God damn it, Elvis, I swear to God, if you do not throw out the garbage, I am leaving your ass. I, you were supposed to pick up Billy from school today. I'm going to lose my shit. I don't think she's like that. A friend actually was like, no, she probably even hates having to talk a little bit, but whoever manages her is like, you have to talk to the crowd. You got to act like you, uh, you're you you're actually playing for people. But anyway, her voice is out of this world. The musicians that she plays with uh, are top caliber and I am not, I, I, I'm not a pro when it comes to stuff, but I've seen a lot of shows and when something comes across as so flawless, that's where you know they are geniuses. You know that they are just so into their, I hate using this term, craft, but I'm going to use that word later because you'll see why. Um, but it was an incredible concert and it was funny because I kind of held it together, just enjoyed the music and then she sang a song by Joni Mitchell, A Case of You. And I lost it. I started crying because when I hear Joni Mitchell, um, it must be the Canadian something in you that just kind of makes me want to bawl my eyes out. And it also, Joni Mitchell reminds me of my father's father, who he really liked her song, her songs. And uh, she's kind of a Canadian folk hero. And I remember when Janet Jackson in the 90s, I was watching MTV in Moscow. And my parents walked in and there was a new Janet Jackson song that had come out. And she was singing 
And then my parents started singing along to the song. And I remember being like, wait, what, what are you doing? How do you, what, how do you know this song? And it's Janet Jackson. You guys are not cool. Like what is happening? And it, she was a cover of Joni Mitchell paradise. And it wasn't until later on that I realized that obviously this was a cover. And, um, I think for two seconds, like my parents are so cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, that was a funny moment anyway. So this concert was amazing. Uh, and there was an encore and she played another three songs and I remember, I remember it was yesterday. I remember like it was yesterday. Um, I just, I was sitting there and I was like, I miss playing an instrument. I miss playing piano. And I used to play the piano when I was a kid. Cause my mom had this rule that if we wanted to play an instrument, any instrument we wanted to before we had to play for a few years piano. So I was like, okay, I will play piano. I don't like it very much. I'm going to play it so that I can choose whatever instrument I want to play. And it was a brilliant thing that my mom did because she wanted to make sure we were really dedicated to learning music and then we could move on to the next instrument. So I think for four or five years I played piano and then I was like, all right, you promised I'm going to choose my instrument. And my mom was like, what do you want to play? And I said, the cello. And my parents were like, okay, well, we will, we will not buy one. We will rent one. And the only reason I chose the cello uh, was because of the James Bond film, I think it was Living Daylights, uh, which actually mostly takes place in Austria with uh, Timothy Dalton, because there was this very pretty woman who played the cello, and they uh, kind of skied down on her cello case down the Alps. And that was pretty much the only reason why I wanted to play the cello, because it just looked like it was so cool. About a year into playing the cello, I, I quit it. And I think probably one of the reasons was uh, I had to go once a week. Uh, I had to bring it onto the big yellow school bus in Ottawa. And I had a soft case, so I was terrified that I would destroy this rented instrument. And it was such a pain in the took us to bring it to school once a week. And then we'd meet in the small classroom. It was, I was the cello player. There was a violinist. There was a teacher. And there was this other guy with the bass. And I kind of was like, oh, I'm so tired of bringing this stupid cello in. The bass player was like, really? The cello bothers you? Yeah, try lugging this thing around. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I quit after about a year. Anyway, all I have to say uh, about that concert last night was that uh, I was blown away. Uh, she's incredible. And if you get a chance to see her perform, you will be blown away. And there's something so... Um, I hate using this word, but ethereal about her and, uh, the charisma that she has, even though she's not trying to be charismatic, she's not like, sup, Vienna. She just, she plays and her band, they're just so in sync. And, uh, I was so inspired. I was very, very inspired last night. And so what I want for Christmas is a piano and I want to take lessons and I want to, I want to sing. That's, that's the new plan. Um, <laughs> Totally. Uh, so that was it uh, about Diana Krall. The next thing is my big news that I posted yesterday about the Wien Museum. So for months and months and months, this has been uh, kind of worked on. I wrote as somebody who uh, from the Wien Museum who I had met once before, and I was like, hi, um, we met once, and uh, I was wondering, would you be interested in an autism-friendly hour at your museum? And he wrote back immediately. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, oh, great, okay. Uh, and then I was in uh, contact with 
somebody who's kind of the head of the education department who I've actually become really like good friends with and uh, because of all of this talk. And so we've been trying to hammer out the details and it's been uh, a labor of love. And I'm very excited to announce that on the 30th of September, um, a Saturday morning at nine for an hour, it is an autism uh, friendly um, hour. So families who have children with autism, even with special needs, uh, please come by. They've opened up the ground floor and the first floor because when I was being asked, like, what should we open for this hour? And I was like, um, the floor with the least valuable things would be great. Uh, I do have to say that every parent I've met who has a child with autism uh, probably could play in the NFL. The amount of def defense they play to stop their kids from touching stuff is out of control. We're amazing. We, we can see our kid look at something and it's like minority report. We're like, he's thinking of touching that. I am going to intervene. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to this. So please, if you're in Vienna and, uh, you're somehow dealing with autism, you are welcome to come by. It is a huge uh, testament to Wien Museum to do this. I think that it is one of the best museums in Vienna. Uh, personally, I've always liked going there. They have one of my favorite paintings. It's a woman in a yellow dress. Uh, I think it's on the second or third floor. And uh, I'm just, I'm so excited that, that this has finally happened. And step by step, getting there and making it possible for families to kind of experience normal things. So yay, I say that in a very exhausted way. Yay, it's happening. Oh God, I need a nap. <laughs> so um, yeah, that is very exciting. So uh, that's kind of my catch up. So you could have skipped the last almost 15 minutes of me talking about random things because the big topic tonight is going to be a bit of a recap of a film that was very, I don't know, it was such a, such a great film when I was a teenager. And I remember watching it for the first time, where I was, what I was doing. And it, uh, this is a shout out to my friends, uh, Melissa and Stephanie, uh, Steph. And, uh, this was in Moscow in, I believe, 97. And I had just moved to Moscow from Vienna and this was a lifeline. I met these two girls and we instantly bonded. And my friend Melissa lived on the American uh, compound, which I kind of jokingly said was like Sesame Street on crack. It was all these kind of brick buildings and a lot of the American staff lived there. And there was also the school. It's where the Marines were. I think her dad was the gunny there. And after school, we'd sometimes hang out. And her mom was just the most amazing um loving person and I felt very at home immediately when I'd come by uh, their house and we would have sleepovers so it was uh, Steph, Stephanie and Melissa and I and we'd have a sleepover on a Friday or Saturday night and we'd go to the kind of embassy video store and we'd always choose out choose a different film and we watched Fear I think with Marky Mark and uh, which is Eastwick and we decided one night to rent The Craft, which, you know, the cover was these three or four girls looking very scary in knee-high socks and short skirts, and they were witches, and we were like, we're 16, this is right up our alley, and we would um, we'd take over the living room, and her mom would always make this amazing pizza, and she had cake and candy, and just, it was just what teenage girls should do. 
and uh, we'd camp out in the living room, put this uh, tape in, and we watched The Craft. And I decided, because I'm feeling nostalgic, as I always do, um, I decided that I would watch it again and uh, talk about it for this podcast, because why not? Let's uh, let's recapture our teenage years uh, from that, you know, I can't even say that, like, from our time. That was our time. But 2017, also great, right, everybody? Yes. Uh, so I'm going to take a quick break, and then I am going to recap uh, the very uh, amazing 90s classic called The Craft. Okay, so who's ready to hear my recap of The Craft? Um, I watched it the other day just to jog my memory. I actually watched it a few years ago uh, because I like to watch a bunch of kind of Halloween-y films when I the lead up to uh, Halloween, and uh, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention, so this time I was like, I need to focus, I need to take notes because this is important for the podcast. Professionalism, kids. Um to set my scene, I am actually wearing a nightgown and knee-high socks because I wanted to embrace the 90s. And I think knee-high socks actually will never go out of style. Uh, too bad they keep falling down all the time when I wear them. So let's start. Um, it stars uh, Neve or Nev Campbell? Neve, let's go with Neve, Neve Campbell, uh, Robin Tunney, uh, Feruza Bulk, and Rachel True. Those are the big four main characters, the witches, and of course there's Skeet Ulrich, which I'll get to later on. So we start off with kind of this creepy montage. There's candles and a pentacle and there's whispering and they're saying stuff like, um, what do they say? They say, uh, now is the time, now is the hour. And they're putting crystals on this, uh, montage of witchy things and so that's that's your first uh, indication this will be a witchy film and then there's kind of flashing occult symbols it's very much like the beginning of charmed and there's this great song and then you're flying through the cra- uh, the clouds and uh, yeah I had the soundtrack because uh, it was an awesome soundtrack and I think I need to have that soundtrack again so we kind of see this um, we go into the inside of a plane at the opening credits and there's Robin Tunney sitting there looking sulky because she's a teenager, probably at that time 28 in real life. And they land at LAX, so in LA, and it's pouring rain. Now, when I go to LA, which I have never been to before and I'm hoping maybe in 2018 will be the year, it better not be pouring rain. There better be sunshine. I'm ready for this. Anyway, so they get into the taxi, and they drive, and she's looking out the window. It's pouring rain. She sees this huge snake on the tree. And I think at that point, I'd be like, yeah, Dad, I, I think, um, I don't think I like L.A. But anyway, they, they drive on, and they pull up to this amazing kind of Spanish-style house somewhere in L.A. It's all beautiful hills. It's gorgeous. And... Uh, her, uh, they walk into this incredible house and there's like a leak in the roof and she goes, yeah, dad, you said it'd be drier in here. And I was like, God, teenagers are the worst. Uh, and then the stepmom's like, oh, we need a new roof. And then the dad being like the, always the optimist is like, but it's big. So I'm guessing they, at that point I was like, oh, he must be a New Yorker because anything that's more than two bedrooms, uh, once you leave the big city, you're like, wow, it has three bedrooms. It's huge. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the start. And this house is amazing. I mean, it's absolutely what I imagine an LA house would look like. It's very Spanish style with vaulted ceilings and kind of, 
uh, probably where the Walshes lived in 90210, but it'll definitely bigger. So I'm going to call all the characters by their actor names because otherwise it gets too confusing. So Robin Tunney. So Robin, she uh, she's walking around. She's checking out her room, an amazing view. She opens a box and inside's a picture, and it's a picture of I'm. Um, we know, I know, it's her mom. And then she suddenly seems a little bit chirpier or chipper, and she runs downstairs to look at some stuff in the hallway. And then suddenly she hears a noise behind her, and it's this kind of homeless man who's holding a snake and he's like, and she freaks out and he's like, relax, what's the matter with you? Relax. And I think we all know that if anybody ever tells you to relax, the opposite is what's going to happen. Because as soon as anybody tells me to relax, I'm going to freak out. So she starts yelling. Her dad comes running down the stairs and he's got like a poker and he's like, get out of here. And the guy kind of goes running off and he's like to his daughter, like, are you okay? And then they look down, there's a snake on his leg and he throws his, poker down and uh i'm assuming the snake is probably dead so then it's her first day of school and they pull up in a car her dad's dropping her off and he's like you know you can wait you don't have to go to school today we just can wait till you have at least a school uniform and i'm like ah what a cool dad totally cool dad um and she's like no i can't stay at home and watch daytime tv for the rest of my life and i'm thinking yeah you can a lot of people do that. That's fantastic. And then the dad says, why not? I could. And I'm like, whoa, this dad's my soulmate. What is wrong with you, Robin, Tony? This is great. Stay home. Watch, watch, what was it? Sally, Jesse, Raphael. That was a great show. Damn it. So she goes um, into the school. She walks through kind of the front part. And uh, it's the scariest Catholic school uh, in uh, that I could ever imagine. I've never been to one, but it looks quite scary. And then there's kind of this scene where the three other girls who you know are witches and maybe bad news, this one guy sees them and he's like, uh-oh, scary bitches alert. And I'm thinking, like, her dad has obviously rented or bought this huge, gorgeous house in L.A., and he can't seem to spring for a better school. It's a little bizarre. Anyway, so then Neve Campbell's there talking to her friends, and she's like, we need a fourth for our uh, four corners, whatever that may mean. And there's Faruza Balk, who is absolutely creepy and terrifying in this film. And she's got her locker open, and she's holding, like, a, a huge noose and kind of leaning on it. And I was like, God, how many times were you called to the guidance counselor for that? Because I'm pretty sure back in the 90s they were like, we need to talk about your feelings. So we kind of go to French class and Robin Tony's sitting there and there's the class clown who's being kind of a dick and he's the same actor who's in Clueless who I think that's the same actor and he's the one who looks Marvin the Martian and I hate seeing him in this role because he's such a dick in this role but I loved him in Clueless. Anyway, so the French teacher is asking the class clown like, what did you do on the weekend? Did you go to Concert du Rock? And I'm like, I don't know if that's really French. And then the class clown's like, are you saying, did I get laid? And I'm like, oh, God, this is awful. Who wrote this screenplay? I loved this when I was 16. At 36, not so much. And then Robin Tony says something under her breath in French. And the class clown is like, what did that snail trail just call me? And I'm like, what is a snail? Oh, that's not a good term, snail trail. I don't like that. I'm, I'm too old for this. And then, of course, the class clown says something like, this is L.A., we should be learning Mexican. Ugh. Anyway, so then uh, during this French class, um, 
Neve or Nev notices that Robin, this new girl, is balancing a pencil on her desk and like letting it just kind of spin on its own. So obviously a little bit of witchy magic there. And she then tells her other two friends like, oh, you know, maybe this is the fourth one. This could be the one. And they're in a lab class and Robin asks to sit with them. And then for Isabel, who's like totally freakingly terrifying and just stares at her. So it's a little bit weird. Then it's lunchtime at this Catholic school and there's a cop walking around and I'm like, what kind of school is this? This is a Catholic school. Why is there a cop at lunchtime? I don't, I guess I'm spoiled. I went to really nice private schools where we didn't have cops unless there was a bomb threat. This is very bizarre. So then Robin's sitting on her own uh, at her new school, and obviously the popular guy comes and sits down to talk to her, and this is Skeet Ulrich, and I will, I still do not, do not understand who was trying to make Skeet Ulrich happen, because even at 16, I thought he was gross, so I don't know. I'm sure he's a nice guy, uh, but I've never understood why he was considered kind of the heartthrob of the 90s. He kind of warns Robin about these three girls, so Nev Campbell, Feruza Balk, and Rachel True, who are sitting off to the side, and he calls them the bitches of Eastwick, and he warns her, like, one's a slut, one has, like, all these burns on her back, and then he doesn't even mention the third uh, girl, and he tells, him, tells her that they're witches, and that's what people say. And then the best part of this is he's like, are you free after school? And she was like... Yeah, I've got some time. And he, like, looks to the side and he's like, I don't. I have football practice. But you can watch if you want to. And I'm like, ugh, no, Robin, run. This guy's a dick. So then after school, of course, she goes to football practice to watch him. And the three other girls show up, the witches. And they're like, you know, the guy's a jerk. Don't hang out with him. And Feruza Balk, who's like... He spreads disease. I speak from personal experience. It's all very kind of creepy. And then they're like, want to go for coffee? And Robin's like, yeah, all right. So they end up at this kind of witchy shop. And I would have killed for this shop as a teenager. Like this would have been right up my alley. I mean, there's candles and crystals and books and it just seems awesome. And it's owned by a woman who kind of, I think is Dr. Quinn medicine woman. She kind of looks a little bit like her. And she's behind the counter playing with candles. And Neve kind of says to to Robin, like, here, put this diary in your in your in your uh, purse. And Robin's like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna steal. We just met, but I'm not gonna steal. And then Robin tries to head to the back room of the shop, and Doctor Quinn's like, nope, that room's off limits. And uh, yeah, teenagers are jerks, just to let you know, especially in shops. And uh, yeah, so then it's late already, and. If I was Robin's dad, I'd be like, your first day at school, you're not home, it's dark, I'm going to murder you. But she's like, what's up? Whatever, whatever, I'm going to walk. So they're in downtown LA and there's like all these creepy people. There's a preacher about saving this and that. And then the crazy snake guy that had kind of scared Robin in her house uh, the day before is suddenly back. And he's like, I had a dream about you. Relax. Uh, Enough with that. And he's following her and the other girls. And then suddenly uh he's hit by a car and all four girls are super ecstatic go running into the hills and they're like or into some field and they're like did you see that we made that happen we have the gifts uh and then they pass around a little bottle of schnapps and then they talk about this thing called manon who is supposed to be this all-seeing or all prevalent god of 
witchery and uh, Robin gets a little bit freaked out. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go home now, but thanks. Um, and the funny thing about Feruza, who was like the big kind of creepy girl of the 90s, a lot of my guy friends were like, yeah, I'd tap that. Terrifying. Bed tap that. She's, yeah. And I, I loved her, but watching it now is like, oh, honey, you need a hug. You need a hug. So um, then she suddenly, so Robin is now hanging out with Skeet Ulrich, and they're on some random roof drinking beer in their Catholic school uniforms. And he's making some joke about heads, and then he leans over and kisses her. And uh, then he's like, hey, want to come back to my place? And she's like, no, no, I'm going to head home. And he kind of does this look that he's disappointed. And she immediately goes, are you mad? And this is where I a little side note. I want to be like, ladies, you owe a guy nothing. And I don't know. I feel like I'm talking to like young girls, like ladies, if a man is mad because you don't go home with him, sucks to be him. Move on. You don't owe him anything. That's my little advice for tonight. So then the next day, Robin shows up at school and everybody is talking about the date that she had with Skeet. And then apparently they had sex. And because he's a jerk, he's been saying um, she's the lousiest lay he's ever had. And everybody's laughing at her. And she kind of is like, what is going on? And the three girls who are, you know, the witches are like, yeah, he's been spreading these rumors about you. And she's like, but I didn't even sleep with him. And they're like, yeah, welcome to uh, this awful school. So she goes up to Skeet and she's like, dude, like we never even slept together. And he loudly is like, stop begging. Like, I don't, I don't want to be with you. And she like looks at him and she's like, Hey you, fuck you. And then he looks at her and he's like, nah. And it's such an infuriating point. Cause you're just like, oh, you're such a jerk. Oh, all that 16 year old angst coming back. Um, so then we go to Rachel, who's one of the kind of witchy characters and she's on the swim team and she's about to do a big dive. And these bitchy girls are laughing at her. And one of the bitchy girls is actually Christine Taylor, who was married to Ben Stiller. And she's so pretty, but she's such a bitch in this uh, film. And you cut to the changing room and Christine starts saying really awful racist things about Rachel. And, uh, you know, the thing that's so sad was that this film is from the nineties and it's 2017 and this shit still happens. And, it makes me sad. So, um, yeah, don't be a racist dick. That's what I'm trying to say. So then we move on to Nev or Neve and the other, one of the other kind of witchy characters and she's at the hospital and I guess she's got burns all over her back and she's doing this new therapy that's supposed to kind of minimize the scarring. And I actually had to fast forward this scene because when she starts screaming, it's just so awful. Uh, but if you've seen this film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then we go on to the other, the third one, the main kind of scary witch, Feruza. And she's, uh, shows that she lives in a trailer and her mom and stepdad are kind of these drunken assholes and they're fighting and she's in her room just kind of like, this is the worst. And this is kind of how serial killers are made, just letting you know. So then the next day, uh, they're back in class and the three girls invite the new girl, Robin, on a field trip. And I love this because they're all like the next day in not in their Catholic school girl outfits. They're in these fab nineties outfits. And there's like one girl wearing that long kind of summer dress with the spaghetti straps. And I used to wear that with a t-shirt underneath and doc Martens. And it's just, it brings back all the feels. And then there's that very iconic part where this bus driver drops them off in a field. And he's like, better watch out for those weirdos. And Fruz is like, we are the weirdos, mister. And I remember watching that as a kid and being like, that's the best line. 
Oh, youths. Anyway, so then um, they head, head out into this kind of um, foresty area and they're chanting and it's very Instagrammy. And they hold a knife to each other's necks, kind of like, I don't even know what they're doing, where they're kind of doing this kind of oath and they're going to be besties. And then um, suddenly they prick each other's fingers and they drop their blood into a glass of wine. And I want to be like, is that a, is that a French wine? Like what, what kind of wine do you have there in your chalice? And then they all drink from the wine and I want to be like, well, we need to talk about bloodborne disease, but obviously they're, it'll be fine. So then they, they all sip from this cup and they're uh, talking about things that they want, like their, their spells or whatever they're trying to do. And Rachel is like, I want that racist girl, Christine, to suffer. And Robin, the new girl, is like, um, I want to be loved, especially by that jerk, Skeet, Skeet Ulrich. And I want to be like, girl, you can do better. But that's what she wants. Uh, Neve wants to be pretty inside and outside. She's the one with the scars. And Feruza, of course... A little selfish is like I want all the power of Manon, and as I said before, Manon is apparently um, the, the the big uh, kind of god. And then at the end, she drinks all the wine very dramatically because she's very scary. And then suddenly, butterflies are all over them, and uh, I'd be like, "Yeah, I gotta go. I don't, I don't like flying things." So then, uh, of course, the next day they're at, back at school, and Skeet who's obviously the, the spell is working for Robin. He can't stop looking at her and he's following her and he's kind of obsessed. And it was funny because like back in high school watching this, I was like, yeah, I'd love a guy to be obsessed with me. That would be amazing. Uh, and then I grew up and I love myself and I don't need that. Uh, one of his friends calls him a Stepford boy. And I didn't get that until just now, like until I watched it a few days ago. It was like, <laughs> That's funny because I've read the book. Um, and then there's a, there's a scene where they're having a sleepover. And uh, I, as I said, I have such fond memories of sleepovers. And, um, you know, kind of hanging out with friends, eating junk food. And the four girls decide to play uh, light as a feather, stiff as a board, which is something I play with my friends. And to this day, convinced that it worked. So I'm just putting it out there. going to get a couple of girlfriends together. We're going to drink a lot of wine. And we're going to try to do uh, this game again. And since we're all old, we'll complain about bad backs. And uh, yeah, it'll be a good time. So anyway, so they're all doing uh, light as a feather, stiff as a board. And Rachel is floating in the air. And there's knee-high socks that uh, Neve's wearing. It's all very 90s fab. And then suddenly one of the moms walks in. And then Rachel falls to the ground. And she's like, the best line in the film is like, are you girls getting high? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, mom, that's amazing. And then there's another great song and the girls, it's kind of like this montage of how they're like becoming best friends and they're watching Bewitched and they're walking through the school acting super confident and amazing. And then they're doing spells and then there's kind of this, uh, Tori Amos moment of all the girls talking about, uh, you know, what they want from their wishes. They're kind of still waiting for it to happen and then uh, we find out that, you know, Robin's mother died while she was giving birth to Robin. And, of course, this is a little bit of foreshadowing. And then Neve, with all the burns on her back, is in front of a roaring fire asking for her scars to go away. And then I'm kind of thinking, who has a fireplace at a sleepover? And this is like a death trap. Teenagers wear a lot of hairspray. This is not, this is not good. So then we're back at the school the next day, and Rachel, who's the swimmer, is about to go off the diving board and then suddenly the mean girl 
says something kind of cruel to her and then suddenly takes off her swim cap and her hair is falling out and it's kind of gross. And of course, Rachel does a perfect dive and the coach is like, oh, I'll ignore the fact that one of my uh, students is losing all her hair, but yay, Rachel, you did a dive. And then the next girl, Neve, she's at the doctor's and it's kind of a follow-up to that awful treatment she had uh, earlier. And it's, uh, the doctor's Brenda Strong. So if you ever watched Desperate Housewives, it's funny to see her and pretty much everything on TV. And then suddenly she checks out the scars and the scars seem to be disappearing. And it's kind of a gross scene, but it, it's kind of satisfying because it reminds me of that part when, you, you know, you put Elmer's glue all over your hands and you pulled it off. It's I'm weird, but it, it's a very satisfying um, scene. So it seems like the spells are starting to work. So then um, the next day, Neve walks in after her, uh, I guess the fact that her burns are gone and she's looking super hot and all the guys are like, ooh, hi, you're so hot so 90s fab um and then the four girls are sitting outside during lunch and two of the girls like Rachel and Eve are like thanks Robin for joining our coven you're obviously uh the one making all this happen and Feruza is pissed off and she kind of stomps off because her spell isn't working yet and everybody seems to be getting what they want and Rachel then says this is a quote from the film she's like you know, she's upset because I don't think she wants to be white trash anymore. And I said to her, you're white, honey. Deal with it. It's just like the randomest line in the film. So then we kind of cut to the trailer where Feruza lives. And uh, she's getting something from the fridge. And her stepdad kind of hits on her, which is absolutely gross. And the mom kind of smacks him across the head and is like, act like a father. And he's like, but I'm not her father. And when she smacks him, then he freaks out and he's about to hurt her. And then Frieza starts screaming not to hit her mom. And then the micro microwave explodes. And then suddenly he has a heart attack and Frieza's staring him down. And he, as he's like having this heart attack, um, it pretty much the same look I give when anybody cuts me in line and it never seems to work in the same way. So then the next day, this lawyer shows up at the trailer and Feruza and her mom are like both smoking and it looks kind of trashy fab. And he says to them like, well, you know, your husband who's just passed, he left you some life insurance and it's $175,000. And the two women start to freak out. And the insurance guy, like he needs an Oscar because he was like, yay, I'm glad you're happy. What? And they just kind of like, these two women are freaking out. And then you cut to the three other girls visiting this condo and that's where Feruza lives now with her mom and it's this amazing condo kind of high up with a jukebox that only plays Connie Francis records and new sofas and their lives have kind of restarted and I'm kind of thinking 175,000 while that's a lot of money that's not gonna that's not gonna last that long in LA I mean I don't know real estate prices especially in the 90s but I'm assuming that the rent was pretty exorbitant where they were living, all the furniture. One of them is going to get a, have to get a job to kind of maintain that. But that's just that's just me being a responsible adult. So then uh, they head to Feruza's room, lock the mom out because they're just being teenagers. And they start talking about different spells and they're having another sleepover and they start talking about glamour spells. Again, foreshadowing. And... Uh, Glamour spells are something where you can change the way you look. So Robin changes her eye color. They're like, eh. And then she goes, 
like she gets blonde hair suddenly and they're like, Ooh, cheaper than going to a salon. And then suddenly we're back at Robin's house and, um, she's sleeping and she hears her name being called and she looks out the window and there's the skeet guy. Cause he's under that love spell. Remember? And by the way, guys, not cool. Don't do, don't wake girls up. Don't stand outside their house. You want to be romantic. You listen to what they like. You meet them and you get them a pizza or you give them a little present and then you talk about other things. Don't stalk them. And I joke about stalking, but it's not cool. Don't do it. Um, and also Hollywood, you got to stop with this ridiculous romantic, um, thing that we all grew up, uh, with like say anything standing outside with a jukebox. It's, it's creepy. It's not cool. Anyway, side note. Um, so then Skeet is trying to tell her outside, like, I love you. I want to move in with you. And she's like, go home. And then suddenly her dad, who's like the best character in this film shows up with a flashlight and he's like, can I help you? It's an amazing scene. Anyway, so then they're back at the witch shop and Robin kind of talks to Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. She's like, I kind of don't want him to love me anymore. And she's like, well, magic, you know, what you send out, you get three back, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then Farisa finds a book and it's called like invocation of the spirit and it's $25. So she's like, yeah, on it. And then we cut to what looks like an amazing, um, nineties music video, these four girls on a beach, it's nighttime music's playing. And, uh, the fashion of course is absolutely fab and they're all carrying different animals. So, um, one is carrying a Nemo type fish and a plastic bag and water. Somebody's got a jar with a butterfly. Somebody's got a bird in the cage and then a snake, uh, in a jar. Cause of course, uh, this is before, you know, PETA, and then they're sitting in a circle of candles. Fruza is kissing a snake because she's creepy and weird. And there's some more foreshadowing because Robin starts talking about her personal nightmare, which is about snakes and bugs crawling all over her. And she would wake up and they would still be there. And then Fruza interrupts talking about some serpent being a powerful creature because she likes a lot of attention. And you can see Robin's face being like, yeah, okay, I was telling my story, but go ahead. So suddenly they all stand up and they start calling the corners as it's called. It's very witchy. And Feruza is holding a dagger. Everybody's got their arms up and it's completely cheesy nineties witchiness. And it's so fun. And I just adored this when I was 16 and suddenly a storm starts. And, um, as you know, a parent, I want to be like, Hey girls, Hey, why don't you come inside? Do you want a raincoat? You want some hot chocolate? Let's get out of the store. It's a little, put the dagger down. It's a little, come on guys, come on. Um, so there's more lightning and they're calling man on and it's all craziness and the camera's spinning to make it look dramatic and glass breaks and the animals escape. And I totally forgot the point where first gets struck by lightning and she's obviously survives. Um, and the next morning they kind of wake up and they look onto the water and Fruza's, uh, she's walking on water and I want to be like, well, that's, that's a little creepy. And maybe I would be like, that's great. You walk on water, but maybe we should take a little break on our friendship because this is, it's a little bit too biblical. And then, uh, Fruza's acting kind of out of control. She's talking about things inside of her and she feels this men on inside of her. And she's kind of like that girl, you knew in high school who started dating a guy who was really weird and he was in a band and she, you're like, yeah, I don't, this is weird. And then suddenly the camera pans out over the beach 
and there are dozens of beached sharks uh, on the beach. And Frieza's like, this is the best gift ever. And Robin's like, yeah, I don't know. Greenpeace is going to be a little pissed off. And you literally want to be like, Frieza, you need to take a nap because she's covered in blood and touching these dead sharks. And it's all very, very creepy. And then, of course, uh, they let her drive. They let her drive a car. And she's just had this weird, you know, walked on water, hugged a dead shark. And now they're like, you want the key? Sure, let's drive. Down Rodeo Drive. Teenagers. <clears throat> so Robin's in the car, and she's like, yeah, I'm kind of tired with this skate guy chasing me. I'm, 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 I want to move on. And then she kind of decides to tap the two girls in the back, who are Rachel and Neve. And she's like, Neve, you know, when, when you were – you had greasy hair and wore sweaters. You were a lot nicer. Now you're kind of bitch, kind of a bitch. And I want to be like, come on, let Eve have her time. Chill out, chill out a little bit. Stop being a Cassandra. And then Feruza and Robin start fighting in the car, and the two just giggle and they're acting kind of ridiculous. And then Feruza speeds up the car and they almost have a crash. And it's all very um, death wishy. And then we're back at school. And Rachel, who had done the curse against the racist girl, she um, walks past the showers and the mean girls in the shower kind of crying because she's losing clumps of hair. And you can see that Rachel's starting to feel a little bit bad. And I don't feel too bad because don't be a racist because otherwise you'll lose your hair. Um, and then there's a point where Rachel looks at her reflection and it's kind of a weird, like it's the back of her head. It's a little creepy and bizarre and they don't kind of expand on that. Hmm. So next we have, and this is something that I noticed uh, this time when I was watching it. So Robin Tunney is on the phone with the creepy skeet guy who's obsessed with her because of the love spell. And she says something like, how do you know what I look like? We're talking on the phone. And I suddenly realized that reminded me exactly of the film Scream, where they're like, how do you know what I look like? And the scene in the craft is with Robin Tunney looking a bit like Nev Campbell, who's the star of Scream, standing on the porch with a very similar view that Neve Campbell's house had in Scream. So I don't know if I'm just reading into this, but I'd like to think that I'm some kind of film aficionado that I've somehow figured out there's been some connection between these two films. Probably not, but it just seemed really funny that this was very coincidental, both 90s films. That's, that's the story. I'm sticking to it. So anyway... Robin somehow decides to hang out with this guy that's obsessed with her. And he's like, want to go on a date? She's like, okay. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? So they're hanging out in his car, kind of off of some highway. And she's talking, and he's just listening, and he's gaga and obsessed. And every time she's, like, disagreeing, he's agreeing with her, and it's bizarre. And then suddenly he tries to give her a massage and she freaks out and kind of pushes him away and then escapes the car. And then it's this awful, almost like attempted rape scene. And uh, she kicks him in the nads and runs off. And uh, he's chasing her through the woods, but she escapes and she shows up at her friend Rachel's place. And then Rachel calls the other two girls and Feruza hears about this attempted rape. And she's all like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get him. And I'm like, I support that. But Feruza's nuts. So I don't know. So then we uh, we pan out to Feruza showing up at a house party. It's another amazing, gorgeous house. The 90s really were all about the house parties, apparently. And maybe the house party. I didn't grow up in the States, so I don't know about house parties uh, at that time. So anyway, Feruza, in her very witchy, gothy outfit, shows up. And uh, the skeet guy sees her, and he wants to talk to her because he assumes that she's hanging out 
with uh, Robin, who's he's obsessed with. And I have to just say about this house party, it's the most well-behaved group of teenagers I've ever seen. There's a lot of plaid. There's a lot of um, just hanging out, drinking out of solo cups, but there's no craziness. It's like they're all adults. I swear to God, my Halloween parties are less behaved than this party. And these are all like hyped up, sexualized teenagers. So anyway, Skeet goes to talk to Frieza, kind of being like, oh, are you uh, are you here with Robin? She leads him upstairs to the bedroom. He's drunk. She crawls on top of him because I guess they used to have a relationship. He tells her to stop. He pushes her off. And then she does that glamour spell and suddenly is looking like Robin. And then he's like, yeah, all right. So they start making out. And I don't know how this plays into her revenge plan. And then the three other girls show up and Robin's like, what are you doing? You've scared him. And he, she's Frieza again. And he's Skeet says something really bad about her. I don't really remember the exact thing that happens, but Farisa freaks out and pretty much, um, pushes him out of a window and he dies. Um, so listen, if you want to have a house party and you're a teenager, that's great. Just make sure the, the, the one trick, if you're a teenager listening to this, take a lot of pictures before the party. So you know where everything goes. Uh, so you can place it back to what it used to look like and make sure nobody dies. So the next day, uh, Robin is in bed crying because her kind of pseudo stocky boyfriend is dead and her dad's trying to be super understanding. And she's like, leave me alone, dad. He's like, I'm trying. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, so then Robin is sitting at outside in her garden and she takes a picture of the four girls, but cuts out the picture of Frieza because she knows that this girl's cray cray and she starts doing something called binding kind of to stop her from using uh her power and she's wrapping it with ribbon and then suddenly we have a shot of robin in bed and the window flies open and her three friends come running it like kind of flying in and threatening her and she wakes up and she's terrified and the next day she's at school and everybody's whispering about robin probably because they think that maybe she killed this guy who's obsessed with, who knows and then she's uh she's goes into the toilet and she's crying and she's wearing the same ribbed turtleneck with short sleeves that I probably owned. Uh, I think I had one in Burgundy as well. Anyway, then the three witches show up and pretty much are like, you want to leave the circle? What's wrong with you? You better leave the city. Maybe even this state, you know what? Maybe you should leave the planet. So they're threatening her and pretty much talking about her dying. And, uh, yeah, I love the fact that Rachel's wearing a cardigan with uh, butterflies on it because it reminds me of butterfly clips that I had many of. So then suddenly Robin, obviously realizing that she's screwed against her three other friends who are now powerful witches, that she needs Dr. Quinn's help. Uh, so she goes back to the witchy store and Dr. Quinn's like, you have to be strong. You've got to invoke the power of your dead mother and you have to surrender yourself to the higher power, which is Manon again, and invoke the spirit. And I want to be like, it kind of sounds like the Ikea instructions. you got to give me some more details. But uh, they try to invoke, and then suddenly Feruza interrupts it with some kind of fire. I don't really know what happened. Fire, something, fire, something happens, whatever. Robin uh, freaks out and runs back home. So she gets back home. Her parents are nowhere to be found. The phone rings, and um, uh, suddenly Feruza's like, oh, your parents left. They went on a flight back to San Francisco because they thought you ran away, turn on the news, and on the news is a story of a plane crash, which would be the same plane that Robin's parents on. And I'm like, damn it, like, this is not good. Like, just unfriend her on Facebook. This seems a little 
creepy anyway. So then suddenly there are bugs and snakes everywhere, which as I told you before, foreshadowing, Robin's terrified of this. And so I have to actually not watch the scene because it freaks me out still to this day. And then suddenly Feruza is, is in the house and pretty much says to her, to Robin, like, yeah, tonight you're going to have to kill yourself. And, uh, yeah, this friendship is soured quickly. And she goes and sees that all three of these witches are floating up in the living room. And I have to say, these are amazing vaulted ceilings, uh, in this Spanish style house. I mean, absolutely incredible. Anyway, so the three witches are floating and taunting her, and Farusa cuts her wrists, like Robin's wrists, because what I forgot to mention earlier is that Robin actually tried to commit suicide, so, you know, kind of is trying to make it seem like Robin, this is how Robin's going to kill herself, and then Robin runs up into her room, and she's crying, and she's starting to pass out, she's losing blood, and Farusa says to the two other friends, the witches, like, go check if she's dead. And they go upstairs. So Rachel and Eve start to go upstairs and suddenly they pass um, a mirror. And remember the what you give out, you get three times back and suddenly look in the mirror and Rachel, who wished for the bully to lose her hair. Rachel's now losing all her hair and Neve, who wanted to lose like those scars, her face is completely covered in burn scars. It's very good times. Uh, so they leave the house freaked out and suddenly Farooza alone. And in, in meanwhile, um, Robin's been invoking a spirit and, uh, her, uh, cuts start to heal and a storm starts and Feruza's like, well, I don't think this is good. And she walks upstairs cautiously looking for Robin. And, uh, as she passes a mirror, mirror, Robin comes out and then suddenly they start fighting and Feruza's covered in snakes and bugs kind of as retribution from before and then uh robin is like relax it's only magic and i'm like damn can we stop using that stupid term relax but yeah and then a huge fight scene happens against a wall and then like a cabinet comes out and almost crushes the robin character and it's like this very big fight and uh um suddenly uh, Farouz is about to stab Robin with a dagger, and uh, Robin uses all her power to throw her against a mirror and then binds her with that spell. So then we cut to kind of a beautiful sunny day. Robin is unpacking the family car, so everything's fine and normal. And the two witches, Rachel and Eve, kind of like the, the quieter ones, um, come to visit. And they're like, and they literally say like, yeah, sorry for trying to kill you. <laughs> watching this as an adult, you're like, this is crazy. Um, oh, and then you see that Robin's parents are actually alive because it was just, uh, as Neve says, like it was just a practical joke that they died. Uh, and then both of them say to Robin, like, by the way, we lost all your powers. So did you as well? Why don't we get together and maybe we can do our coven again? And Robin's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay. And she kind of dismisses them. And the two of them are like, well, obviously she has no powers. Like she's, she's lost all her powers. And of course, Robin's like, well, fuck you bitches. And a storm starts and a tree branch crashes down and almost hits them. So they're like, oh yeah, she's, she's still a powerful witch. And then we cut to Feruza in an institution tied to a bed and she's, freaking out and it's absolutely creepy and she gets like a, a shot to calm her down and it's 
that's the ending. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch again as an adult and just realize how cheesy it was, but how iconic that whole film, um, was to me as a 16 year old and the fashion of the short mini skirts and the knee highs and, uh, yeah, Skeet Ulrich still, still doesn't do it. I don't know. I don't know. And, uh, Robin Tunney and her bad wig (laughs) throughout the show, uh, or the film. So that was it. That was the craft recap. That was a long recap. I hope you guys stuck with it (laughs) while I did this. I guess the moral of the story of this is, um, number one, if a guy gets pissed off because you're not going home with them, screw him. Not worth it. Um, I guess number two, your parents are so much cooler than you thought as, as kids. Cause I'm watching this. I'm like, that's hip. Dad wants to watch daytime TV. I get it. Um, mini skirt skirts never go out of fashion. That's number three. Um, number four, get friends who, um, who are supportive and aren't super freaky like Farooza Balk. She was awesome. I have to say she was, she stole the show in that film. And, uh, yeah, I guess on a serious note, if you ever feel the need to end it all, call me because that's not a solution. Maybe that's what the film should be about. Um, that was dark. That took a a deeper turn. Anyway, I'm getting stuffed up because I'm getting tired and that's usually uh, my cue to head to bed. I hope you enjoyed this recap. It was a lot of fun for me to watch it and to realize just how ridiculous the 90s were uh, in a very nostalgic, fun way. And uh, if you want me to do more films, please uh, let me know and I will watch them. I'm going to be doing a lot more um, kind of nostalgic watching because I always do that in September and October to get in the mood for Halloween. The the two Adams Family films from the 90s are my absolute fave and I love Hocus Pocus and Beetlejuice, number one. Um yeah, this was a super long podcast, so I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, stay tuned for many more stories. There might be something amazing happening on, on October 2nd. I cannot go into details, but I will when I know more and when it happens. And if it does happen, it'll be one of the most exciting things ever. Uh, please keep your fingers crossed that Raphael feels better soon and that we can send him off to school again. And as always, how I end my podcasts, uh, all I can say is have a wonderful evening, a wonderful week, and uh, toodles.